what excites me most is the fact that this standard exists um, and the fact that we've come to a place where we can start more openly talking about menstruation and menopause. But what I'm particularly proud of is the language that we've used in this standard. One of my jobs on the team was to kind of make sure the language was uh, gender inclusive. And I'm really proud that we've created something that um, includes not only women, but also people from gender minority groups like trans men, non-binary people. And we've shown like, you know, how traditionally discrimination in in the workplace has um, been linked to um, the fact that it was quite a male dominated space. and women kind of entered the workforce later on. So a lot of the reason why workplaces don't necessarily have the provisions um, is because of that. So, you know, we talked about the history of kind of like discrimination against women. So we have that kind of feminist aspect of the document there, which is great. Um, But we've also made it really clear that it's not only women that menstruate and go through menopause as well. And I think that advice is going to be especially useful um, to employers because there's a bit more out there about women's experiences but less so about trans people so yeah the fact that the document will help employers support women and other people who menstruate go through menopause I think is really groundbreaking. We present The Standard Show the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is celebrating World Standards Day 2023 and the standard BS 30416. So I would say the fundamental main change that we've put in place as part of the standard was to include menstrual support into our menopause commitment. So we had already combined forces with our gender network and signed up to become a period-friendly employer. So naturally, it felt like the right fit for doing that. Um, We as an organisation had already put in place free period products, but we then went ahead um, based on the information and thought we want to do more. So we've introduced additional measures such as free leggings, change of underwear, some hand towels in our accessible bathrooms, so that people actually have, you know, like an option in the event that they need it. Um, We worked through our support and adjustment policies to make sure that we referenced all the support and adjustments that we had available for people experiencing both menopause and menstruation. Happy World Standards Day, Cindy Parakil. Happy World Standards Day, Matthew (laughs) Charles. How are you celebrating? Do you have the bunting up, you know, flags, having some tea and cake, anything stronger? Oh, well, you know, just the usual. Rededicating myself to the pursuit of engaging stakeholders about the transformative power of standards to drive positive change. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get too carried away here, we should say welcome to The Standards Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards. And we are indeed celebrating... World Standards Day. We are. Every year on the 14th of October, the International Standards Community, led by IEC, ISO and ITU, comes together to celebrate World Standards Day and to pay tribute, really, to the collaborative efforts of thousands of experts worldwide who get around the table, virtual and physical, to agree on standards on all sorts of things to help make the world a better, safer and more enjoyable place. And... This year, Matthew Charles, the theme is once again, standards for the SDGs. And the idea here is a simple one. Each of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals present an urgent call to action. 
action. They recognize that ending poverty must go hand in hand with strategies that improve health and education, reduce inequality, and encourage economic growth, all while tackling climate change. And because international standards help organizations to do the right thing, they are part of the solution. They help organizations to respond to these 17 urgent calls to action. They do indeed. And this year, there is a special focus on SDG 3. This one is all about ensuring healthy lives and promoting well-being for all at all ages. And so for this World Standards Day, we're looking at how one standard in particular can help organisations to do the right thing to support SDG 3. And that standard is BS 3416, Menstrual and Menopausal Health in the Workplace. It was developed to help organisations identify practical workplace adjustments and activities that reflect good practice for supporting employees who menstruate and experience perimenopause and menopause symptoms. Now, Cindy, it would be fair to say that this standard is generating a huge amount of interest. It would indeed. Since its formal launch in the summer, it has been downloaded by over 5,000 organizations in 70 countries. That's a nice stat. And uh, we have covered the standard on the podcast here. Matthew, you were at the formal launch event, which you described as part launch, part celebration, part campaign. I was, and I did. And you can find the episode in the feed, details in the show notes. We are covering BS 3416 again because of that direct support for SDG 3. Now, the first voice you heard at the top of the episode was that of Dr. Maria Tomlinson from Sheffield University here in the UK, an academic who is also a standards maker and who worked on BS 3416. She was talking about how the standard will make a difference, not just in supporting health and well-being in the workplace, but also gender inclusivity more widely. And the second voice was that of Kirstine Somerville from Ovo Energy, an energy supplier in the UK. She was talking about how the standard is already making a difference, about some of the changes the companies made to their policies and practices as a result of using it. So, in this episode, we'll hear more from Maria and Kirstein, and also from Abby Laspican, from a different sort of employer, the Commission of the Welsh Parliament, about how the standard is also making a difference there, since they adopted it. Here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter or X at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. In this first part, we'll hear my conversation with Dr. Maria Tomlinson, lecturer in public communication and gender at the University of Sheffield. Her current research examines the impact of the media on young people's attitudes towards the health and social issues around menstruation. And she has published widely on this subject, details of which you can find in the show notes. Maria is also a standards maker and was involved in the development of BS 3416. I started by asking her to tell me more about the standard. So the key features include the basics, which is um, essentially like what menstruation is, what menopause is, how menstruation and menopause can affect um, employees. There's also some really great advice in there 
on how to improve um, workplace culture around menstruation and menopause. And it really clearly shows how this can benefit um, other employees as well. There's some really good guidance as well about kind of uh, physical environmental aspects. So, you know, how the kind of physical workplace can be improved to better support um, employees who are experiencing uh, menstruation uh, and menopause so you know for example making sure that all toilets have um free menstrual products in there including kind of uh women's toilets men's toilets gender neutral toilets as well um and there's some really handy annexes at the back um so there's one about how to have a sensitive um conversation about menstruation and menopause um there's another one that is a kind of hr online manager toolkit um and as well there's um some advice on kind of initiatives that um workplaces can um can do to facilitate culture change now you've talked there about some of the real uh, helpful guidance that's that's in the document now i know you're a standards maker you're 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 not a, a an employer necessarily using this as standard but put yourself in their position so i'm a i'm an employer i've downloaded the standard how do i go about using it so i think it's about I think what you have to do first is evaluate your organization because um, some of the things in the standard them you might they might actually already be in place so they could be for example part of your kind of general um, health and well-being policies and you can kind of build on those there's no need to necessarily start from scratch with this so evaluate kind of what you're doing at the moment and think about how you can improve it so I would really recommend looking at the toolkits in the back and think about kind of how all aspects of your organization um, can be improved by referring to the standard so for instance if you want to create a more positive and open workplace culture around menstruation and menopause you could run a menopause cafe so I'm actually going to be speaking at a menopause cafe here at the University of Sheffield next month so you know I'm really proud of our institution because we're already doing a lot um or you could you know make sure that when you do advertise around your company to get people together talking about menopause that it's gender inclusive you know give for example men uh, a chance to learn more about menopause because that could help them um, support you know the women in their lives so that would be really good I mean for me as a communication specialist obviously the language that you use can make such a big difference so simply you know making sure that any communication you have um, about menstruation is inclusive and non-stigmatizing so for example avoiding uh, phrases like you know women's problems or women's issues because it has quite a negative connotation so just talking plainly without euphemism about menstruation and menopause actually really makes a big difference to kind of indicate to your employees that you're ready to have that conversation it's something you can talk about in the workplace and you know you can be open with your line manager about how you know these aspects are affecting um your daily life in the workplace so literally just talking, it sounds simple, but just talking about menstruation and menopause opens up so many conversations. And that's just like one thing that uh, workplaces can do. And as well, putting um, period products in all the bathrooms is good, um, including the men's room. That's not just good for trans men, but there are other men that uh, might be able to benefit from using some of these products as well. Um, so, for instance, if you put um, a bin in men's bathrooms, if uh, men have gone through prostate cancer treatment, that's really useful for them. So, again, you see how these little things can really benefit all employees, even those that don't go through menopause. Maria, you've, you've talked there about some of the ways in which organisations can use the standard. I just wonder, you know, what, what are the benefits, sort of the long, well, short term and long term benefits to organisations of using it? 
So using the standard will benefit organizations in terms of um, employee recruitment and also retention as well. So now when people apply for jobs, they're actually really interested um, in the workplace culture. So people applying to your organization might see no, oh look, this is really great. This organization has been in, involved in improving their menopause policy. That's wonderful. That would like attract me to working there. We are more socially aware. And if you if you are someone that's desired by lots of organizations, you might that might be a factor that might make you say, okay, I want to work for that company because they're really socially aware, they're diverse, they're inclusive. So, you know, having this workplace culture around menstruation and menopause can demonstrate that commitment from an organisation. But as well, we have increasing evidence that um, women are, you know, leaving the workforce earlier than they would like to because of menopausal symptoms and feeling like they can't talk about it or, you know, they're not being kind of adjustments in place to support them. So, you know, if you have these policies in place, you can retain your really talented um, staff, which is really, really good. But of course, just having this open culture, having these policies in place is just going to create a kind of more positive, um, inclusive and happier workplace. So you're just going to create something where everyone wants to work. So it's win win. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the sort of the, the difference it will make or the impact that it have, because obviously standards are only good if they're being used by organisations. So I wonder for your perspective, you're an academic working in this space, you've been involved in developing the standards, you know, what difference will this standards make in, in your view and how will we know? I think it's something that's going to take a while for us to really understand because organisations will have to kind of measure the impact of these policies. But if they're implemented successfully, it could lead to higher retention rates of really talented women um, in the workplace, which is brilliant and would benefit organisations massively. And as well, just I think it's something that we'll also be able to kind of like anecdotally tell in our everyday lives. Like I've one way that I've been able to tell that there's less stigma around menstruation and menopause is that I can pretty much talk to it about talk to anyone at the university about it in general and I get positive responses and you know organizations like the BSI and charities and NGOs have been contacting me more and more frequently to work with them so that kind of enthusiasm is anecdotal but you can kind of see it in your everyday lives and as well like the research I'm doing at the moment I've looked at the impact of social media on young people's knowledge and perceptions of menstruation, including boys. I've spoken to boys too. And the boys I spoke to said that they're really keen to learn about menstruation and they're really keen to learn how they can support their friends at school and they want to be generally good allies. But they just feel like they, you know, either they didn't have any education at school at all or that education wasn't comprehensive enough and they weren't. Um, learning about kind of social issues around menstruation they weren't learning about you know period pain they kind of weren't learning about how you know their friends are experiencing menstruation how it affects them so I think if we can see a workplace culture in which men are feeling more confident to talk about menstruation and know how to support their women co-workers or other co-workers who menstruate that's going to be evidence as well that's working so I think uh, those of you that were at the BSI uh, launch event um, back in July in London uh, might have remembered Darren Dupree talking. And 
he is a really great example of a male ally. Like he is really confident talking about menstruation and menopause. He's always kind of aware of his own position as a man in the conversation and is always really, really respectful and positive. Um, so if you see more Darrens <laughs> knocking about, that will be really good, really good evidence of success. So it's about empowering men to talk about menstruation and menopause too. I was just thinking that you, you've talked about the difference that the, the, t- this particular standard will make on menstrual or menopausal health in the workplace. Obviously, it's very focused on that. I just wonder if you'd pull back and more widely here. You know, what difference or how influential will the standard be in terms of that broader issue of workplace health and gender inclusivity? Yeah, I, I think it's going to have a really positive impact on gender inclusion in the workplace because... Now, as menstruation and menopause are a very gendered experience, being more open about them is going to raise um, awareness of other um, gender inequalities. So the standard, for instance, um, one thing I really, really like about it is the section that discusses intersectionality. So it explains how like different aspects um, of someone's identity or kind of ex- cultural experiences can affect their um, experience of menstruation and menopause. So there's discussion in there about um, ethnicity, religion, disability, mental health, sexual orientation, and um, neurodivergence. So because menstruation intersects with all of these aspects, then talking about menstruation and menopause is going to raise awareness of the fact that you know they are all experienced differently, and a woman's, ex- for example, experience of um, menstruation could for one woman's could be affected by um their ethnicity so i've heard for instance that pcos is more prevalent um amongst black women for example or it could be affected by um disability so for instance if a woman's in a wheelchair she may not be able to use a pedal bin and a lot of the um menstrual product bins are pedal operated so you know it, she might be able to talk about that and raise that with an employer so you can see all these different like intersectional aspects come into play with menstruation and menopause. And that means that it could lead to greater inclusion, not only around gender, but also around um, sexuality um, and ethnicity and mental health and neurodivergence and things like that. So actually it has, it resonates with lots of different aspects of agenda. What excites you most about this, about this standard? So what excites me most is the fact that this standard exists and the fact that we've come to a place where we can start more openly talking about menstruation and menopause but what I'm particularly proud of is the language that we've used in this standard one of my jobs on the team was to kind of make sure the language was uh, gender inclusive and I'm really proud that we've created something that includes not only women but also people from gender minority groups like trans men non-binary people and we've shown like you know how traditionally discrimination in the workplace has um been linked to um the fact that it was quite a male dominated space and women kind of entered the workforce later on so a lot of the reason why workplaces don't necessarily have the provisions is because of that so you know we talked about the history of kind of like discrimination against women so we have that kind of feminist aspect of the document there which is great and but we've also you know made it really clear that it's not only women that menstruate and go through menopause as well and I think that advice is going to be especially useful um to employers because there's a bit more out there about women's experiences but less so about trans people so 
yeah, the fact that the document will help employers support women and other people who menstruate go through menopause, I think is really groundbreaking. Just wondering then, Maria, what, what message would you give to to employers out there considering adopting this standard? I think the most important thing you can do is actually talk to your employees and, and see what changes they would like to make about menstruation and menopause. Start with them, see what their um, needs are, see what they would like, see what would look like inclusion to them and kind of go from there. So just make sure you're yeah employee focused and see where you go. Because obviously, you know, this, the BSI standard is, you know, we've written it to apply to as many different workplaces as possible, but obviously you know, we can't factor in every single kind of workplace. So you know, we have tried to include like office-based workplaces and we've tried to include um, workplaces that are like outside or um, jobs in which employees might be, have to be quite mobile. Um, but obviously you just kind of need to think about how what is in there can apply to your company and, and adapt it for what's best for your employees. So Maria, you mentioned there about just starting a conversation with your with employees. Do you have an example an example of how how they might go about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've done some research with uh, young people, sixteen to nineteen. I've been into some schools and colleges and universities to talk to them, and we ended up talking about um, the government's free period product scheme. And so I said to um, some of the girls in one group, I said, "So um, do you have free period products at your school?" And they said, "Yes." but they're really difficult to access. I said, oh, really? And they said, yeah, so they're actually stored in reception. So it's really hard to get to reception between classes. One of the girls explained that she'd leaked during an exam because the teachers didn't keep products on them in the exam room. There weren't products in the bathrooms. And I found that this theme repeated itself in lots of different schools and colleges that I went to that they had free period products, but there hadn't been a conversation with the girls uh, and non-binary students I spoke to in that school to decide where the products should be placed. So some of the girls said to me in another school that the products were in the library and they couldn't get there between classes and there was a key and they really weren't accessible. So I think just having a conversation about where to place the products would have really helped. So in an organisational setting, you know, you could have conversation with your employee about where the free period products should be placed or, you know, when about other initiatives you could do when they should be scheduled you know what will benefit them so just ensuring that ensuring that employees are part of that process is really important do you want to help make people's lives easier safer and more enjoyable well why not become a standards maker and have your say on the development of standards standards affect all of us every day wherever we go whatever we do by defining good practice, they help people, organizations, economy, and society to do things better. Each year, standards bodies publish thousands of standards, and we're looking for more people like you to join our community of standards makers. We welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds, and career stages. Our goal is to have a balance of views around the table. By becoming a standards maker, you could help to create cities that boost people's well-being, make strides in stem cell research, lift the pressures on healthcare systems, and even build healthier and more inclusive workplaces. So, if you want to make a difference and shape the world through standards, start your standards making journey now. Simply visit bsigroup.com forward slash get involved.
In my conversation with Maria Tomlinson, we talked about the long-term cultural changes BS3416 could make to menstrual and menopausal health in the workplace, and the wider issue of well-being and gender inclusivity. In this second part, we'll hear about what difference the standard is already making through organisations integrating BS3416 into their workplace policies and practices. The first conversation is with Kirstine Somerville from Ovo Energy. Ovo is a leading energy supplier with over 4,000 employees based all over the UK. Kirstine is an operations manager and also a menopause lead. She attended the launch event of BS3416 back in July. I started by asking Kirstine how she'd gone about using the standard. So I would say the fundamental main change that we've put in place as part of the standard was to include menstrual support into our menopause commitment. So we had already combined forces with our gender network and signed up to become a period-friendly employer. So naturally, it felt like the right fit for doing that. Um, we as an organisation had already put in place free period products, but we then went ahead um, based on the information and thought we want to do more. So we've introduced additional measures such as free leggings, change of underwear, some hand towels in our accessible bathrooms so that people actually have, you know, like an option in the event that they need it. Um, we worked through our support and adjustment policies to make sure that we referenced all the support and adjustments that we had available for people experiencing both menopause and menstruation. Um, and we updated our, our internal e-learning course that we we already had for the menopause. Um, we ensured that all our offices now have the appropriate considerations when dealing with both menopause and menstruation. So, for example, we've got, as well as having fans, um, we've got washrooms for people who need them, quiet rooms, spaces. So it, it really just kind of gave us that leg up to, to make sure that we were we were driving towards doing, doing a bit more. And I think as well as training as many of our senior leaders as possible, that's one thing that... Um, it's really made me drive towards doing a bit more and I think lastly just considering our own boarding process and how we make sure that people applying and joining our organisation actually know that we are committed to being both a menopause and period friendly employer um, which we've been able to detail on both our website and our career page. Now you presented that there Kirsty as a very smooth process but I'm interested about transition you said about making changes yeah. uh, whenever, whenever you're doing any any work um, workplace uh, practices. Have there been any challenges and sort of experiences you want to share about aligning your workplace practices with BS3416? I mean has it all been plain sailing or have there been some sort of pinch points and, and issues you've had to face? So I wouldn't say there's been challenges um, I think it's encouraged me to step up our awareness campaign. So we've reached our C-suite as well as, you know, frontline staff. I suppose for me is, is probably you when you learn so much more and you, you, you realise the influence that you can have is that you actually want to embrace it all. But actually when you're doing awareness campaigns, you need to let the information embed. So you don't want it to be information overload or bombardment. So it's trying to actually do it sympathetically and at the right times to make sure that people are digesting certain information before you then you know equally fire out a lot more to them so I wouldn't say it's a challenge it's just a consideration that 
while I'm very passionate about raising awareness that people need to digest information at different rates um, and I certainly came away from the event with a you know a spring in my step um, but naturally I need to bring everybody else up to that same level so I wouldn't say a challenge but just just a consideration and how has that been you know you say in terms of communicating that and bringing everybody up to the same level has that been that's been a good experience definitely I think the awareness sessions that we run really open people's eyes so for for those that have not had the exposure to supporting somebody um you know in menopause then it really is an eye-opener to understand the difficulties that that person is facing um without you know any forewarning and it's of no you know of their doing this just happens to people naturally it's, it's a life cycle so I think it's really it, it's opened people's eyes and actually one of the, the kind of senior sessions that we did people were like wow that is quite hard hitting to know that some of these symptoms can be so severe for people and um, what can we do to help and that's really reassuring to hear. Kirsten, you've worked in this space for for a few years now, and obviously yeah. you're, you're committed and passionate to it. I can I can hear it in your voice. I just wonder, is any particular part of this standard, any particular part of the guidance that has been more useful than others to you in particular as a professional working in this area? I think for me, one of the the, the real takeaways uh, that I that I have from both the standard and um, from being at the event was the information surrounding property and you know facilities. I was really engaged about that because I actually made me think in a different way and setting up a new building in Glasgow, I was able to take all the considerations and actually bring it to, you know, the, the building team and a lot of the people to make sure that these things had been considered and could we can could we make these things come to life? Um, so we have got, you know, quiet spaces, quiet rooms that people can go to. We've got a wellness room. We've got lots of different things that actually will support people when they need it the most. So for me, the big takeaway, and I think having spoke to other people, other um, companies, they, they also felt that that was something when they'd done so much work in the menopause space, actually it was a key standout moment for them. Now we are a couple of months on from from the launch event, the formal launch event of this standard, and a couple of months on from you being aware of it and starting to use it. And it, it sounds like a lot of progress is already being made. I suppose my question to you is now is, you know, what difference is it making? What are the tangible benefits and improvements from adopting this standard at OVO? So our menopause community is growing. I am getting far more people contacting me as management teams. Um actually to ask questions that they didn't ask before um, and I think the difference that it makes is that there is so much information out there in regards to menopause sometimes it does feel like information order, overload so for me the standard gives real clear guidance as to to kind of what best practice should look like as I said right at the start that um, for me it was kind of almost a sense check where are you what are you doing are you kind of on the right track um, the surveys are really good as well because it lets you ask the people in your organisation whether you're hitting the mark or whether or not we need to improve the efforts that we're making and I think that is the the actual beauty of the standard um, and, and certainly that you've got the uh, consideration from property guidance to engaging your people it's kind of got everything considered and covered. I mean, it would be a bit unfair to me to, to ask you um, what would you have done if the standard hadn't been around? But I'm just thinking, you know, it sounds like it's been it's having an impact and it's being influential. But how would you sum up, you know, how influential you, the, the standard has been in influencing your overall approach to menstrual and menopausal health in the workplace? I mean, to, to what extent, um, you know, how influential has it been? 
I mean, I think for us, um, we were already doing fantastic work in raising awareness. Again, just gave me that clarity that, yes, we are doing a lot of things that perhaps other organisations, not of our size, maybe smaller organisations don't have the capacity or consideration to do. And that's absolutely fine. So we were already doing that. But it has kind of opened a lot of doors for me, just even through engaging with BSI directly to engage and learn with different organisations. Um, so the, the, there's definitely um, been opportunity there for me to speak with different different companies who have been at these events and other events. We've managed to secure you know, a session with Holland and Barrett, who are actually um, are, are somebody that, that want to do that. And it's, it's through actually being invited by BSI to events because we fully support what they're trying to achieve with a standard but it's opening up doors for us to share best practice and learn from other businesses the smallest of nuggets of information is very very valuable in this space and, and it's not all about reinventing the wheel it's about understanding what works for other organizations and trial the concept but it certainly gives us something to work through um, to ensure that we're always doing the best that we can for people and that we're really offering the best support to our people at all times. So I just wonder, obviously, you've made you've you've made some changes already you're using the standard, you've adopted it and you're aligning it with your practices. I just wonder if you know if you had much feedback from employees about about the changes you've made as a result of using the standard. We have rolled out um a lot of the changes and we've fed them back to our network directly um, because those are the people that we, we engage with most. Um, our menopause kind of network probably is about 90 people strong. The smallest of changes they're always, always appreciative of because somebody going through the menopause, they just want to be heard. They just want to understand. So, you know, we could make the smallest of change about putting a period a leg and product in a, in a bathroom and they're like wow that's amazing you know that that really will help people so it, it's been the feedback's been really really great and um, we are working to continually review where we can we can do better and ask for information but I think you know some of the things that people are asking for the rate of which we can get them in is, is fairly quick and that's where I, I see having the autonomy to do it there's, there's not a lot of barriers. I'm not saying that it's it's easy to do things, but I think there's definitely an appetite for people to want to do more. Um, and certainly the feedback that we've had so far has been really good. And what is that more? You know, what are the sort of next steps for you with using this standard? So um, I think what we are now looking at doing is having dedicated people that actually become menopause champions, um, that actually are really you know, passionate to want to learn how to support our people. Um, so actually it won't just be several or a few people. Um, it'll actually be in the wider organisation. So that's what we are we are looking to kind of set up next. Um, sharing best practice, um, certainly embedding what we've already got and, and raising awareness, that, that will never tire. I think until for me, I have somebody that says, I knew about your network, but I just chose not to come. Then at least I know everybody is aware. But within an organisation of over 4,000 people, it's making sure that everybody knows who we are and that where we are if they need support. And we're not quite where we need to be yet. I think um, nobody will always know everything. But I think it's just making sure that we we absolutely get that message out that we're here and what we can do to actually help and direct people to the support services that are available for them. And what might you say, um, Kirstine, to, to other organisations who, who haven't started their journey in the way, the way you have, what would you say to them if they were looking to adopt this particular standard? Certainly, if you're starting up a menopause network group or you're kind of in your infancy starting up, you know, um, working towards a menopause friendly um, workplace or you feel that you're quite progressive, 
I think the BSI standard allows you to kind of almost sense check where you are and keep you honest. So you could look at it and say, yep, I'm doing that. Yep, I'm doing that. I never considered that. Um, the very fact that the standard is free and you self-audit it means that you don't have budget constraints and you can work through it at your own pace. So that's certainly an, an appeal that you definitely want to consider. And I think there's always little, every time I read it, I go back and, and I'm, I'm maybe more focused on one particular theme at one point. So I'll pick up bits and pieces, but I always find little bits of information um, when you go through the standard, the more you read it. And I think for me, the key is to use it like a reference document um, and consider what support is available within this um, that you can perhaps consider without, as I say, having to reinvent the wheel. Um, that That's certainly something for me that I, I will go back and I'll consider what's within the standard. Is there something in there that I can actually use or is, is a bit of a consideration? Um, it's definitely a, a bit of a go-to document for me. The second of my conversations about how organisations are using BS3416 is with Abby Lesbikan. Abby is part of the diversity and inclusion team of the Commission of the Welsh Parliament, or Seneth. Employing around 500 people, the Commission provides the property, staff and resources for the Seneth. I started by asking Abby that after reading the standard, what was the first step she took? first step was to um, compare it to our existing policy um, and to identify areas where it was already meeting the recommendations. So one thing that um, our security have um, uniforms and part of that uniform is they use natural fibres and that was one of the things that was um, highlighted in the standard. So we were already you know meeting the standard in certain areas we weren't starting from scratch but what I wanted and was interested in is the areas that we could improve on um, and you know what changes could we implement and whether those could be what quick changes what long-term changes would we could we bring to support our employees? Well, I'm really interested to, to learn about, about those changes. So tell us tell us about your journey then. You know, how have you used the standard and, and what changes have you made? Well, we used the standard, like I say, to compare with our existing standard um, guidance and um, updating it. And on reflection, we looked at part of the current terminology um, and we sort of highlighted the legal duty aspect we provided on information on menstruation and the whole cycle Um, and there were lots of handy practical tools for around conversations to how to hold conversations so I you know those were things we could put into our um current guidance to bring it up and it make it a a self-help tool for people Um, and then one of the quick wins that identified that didn't take any um, wasn't any financial cost to we have a um, desk booking system so one thing that we did was to um, upgrade this so that there was information about the desks 
proximity to air conditioning vents, open windows, radiators, kitchen toilets, etc. So that people could, you know, sit and choose an area where they could sit that was most comfortable for them when they're booking their desks. Um, and then we updated our intranet to make it easy for people to find the types of support available. Um, and obviously, we are meeting with um, our recruitment and our training team to talk about some of the other things that are going to take a little longer to um, action, sort of like look considering our procurement for tr um, training on the menopause, um, you know, what those those sort of things will take a little longer to um, implement. I'm interested about, about the timing there, Abby. So you were able to make some changes pretty quickly and then obviously some of those changes are, t are taking a bit longer. I just wonder, um, t talk me through that, you know, in terms of timing, you, you've downloaded the standard, you've looked at it, think this can help us. So over how long a period were you able to make to make some of those changes you've already mentioned? Well, um, some things were... Um, like I said, quite we could do quite quickly, like if adding the information to our current guidance, so making it more of a toolkit. So, we've in effect will be relaunching the new toolkit, which has um, helpful tools for people alongside um, signposting people and updating the website so that people ha can take things into their own hands it's more of a self-help tool so that line managers can inform themselves but employees can also understand a bit more about what they're going through and where to go for additional support and help so this is going to be launched in conjunction with world menopause day on the 18th of october and um so that was the first thing we just included more helpful tips for the guidance and like i said we've updated things like our desk um, booking system so that people can because environmental issues are very important for some of the to manage some of the symptoms that people might experience during the um, perimenopausal or menopause stages of their um lives so um you know so those were things and i've just been talking to the networks getting them involved um and it's really just starting the conversations bringing it back to into the forefront of people's minds and considerations now you've you mentioned there some of the some of the changes you've made as your policies and practices and, and making those adjustments. I just wonder. It sounds sounds like it's been a, a positive experience so far. Mm -hmm. I just wonder any any challenges or experiences you've had in aligning your practices with with the standard. You know any 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 challenges, any problems that you faced. Well, I suppose the thing is um, being a, a a public sector. We've obviously things have to be aligned around um, and take time so we can't change like our procurement practices until current contracts come to an end so it's it's working um, obviously um, there um, we are you know look after the public purse strings so there are sort of financial considerations and budgets and but the main I think um, 
challenge has been getting people on board and buying into the to the need for menopause awareness and reasons that it has to be taken seriously um and i think it, people think it's a daunting task but it's you know to consider this but it's this resource makes it a lot easier to do and a lot of the work's been done for you so it's not the case I was going to, that sounds that sounds that's a really positive experience. I just wonder, you know, overall, what what difference is it making? Do you think by using this standard? You know, what are the tangible benefits and improvements that you're seeing? Well, it's enabled us to have those conversations with senior leaders um, to implement um, these changes. So I think it's it's a it's it's been a practical tool that we've. Um, ident- used to identify and develop long-term changes. And um, I think I'm going to actually quote one of um, our staff member, Holly Pembridge, the head of the Diversity, Inclusion and Recruitment at the Senate Commission, because I think she says it great when she says, using the standards has strengthened our existing guidance and enabled managers to have supportive, possible positive, impactful conversations with colleagues regarding menstruation and perimenopause in the workplace. And the new BSI standard is a game changer for her, both as a manager and a colleague. And I think that sums up the biggest impact. It's offered, as she said, workplaces the opportunity to make positive changes to further inclusion instantly and design a roadmap for the longer term. Well, I was going to ask you about that longer term. You talked about some of the changes that have already taken place. I mean, what what's next for you in using this standard? Obviously, this is an ongoing um, process. So we're looking, as I met, sort of touched on earlier, having conversations with recruitment and training and how to implement some of the um, standards rec- recommendations and advice into our training and our recruitment processes and you know working those in with um, current contract cycles etc so um, and you know and how we can train our um, line managers and so there's going to be lots of conversations happening we'll be reviewing this um, toolkit so that we can um look at things like implementing uh, well-being um, passports in the future. We'll be look, considering in the future, looking into um, those things like well-being passports as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, there's lots of, it's going to just keep um, conversations and dialogues going. Just wonder, Abby. Obviously, six months ago, you you didn't have this standard, didn't have access to this to this uh, best practice guide. I just wonder overall, you know, how has has the standard influence or how influential has it been to your your overall approach to menstrual and menopausal health in the workplace? I'm guessing it's had it has had a good impact. But I just wonder, from your sitting where you are in your position, you know, how influential has it been? I'd say very influential. The topic of menstruation, menstrual health and menopause 
it was instantly brought into the focus and critical conversations could be facilitated across the workplace because of it. And I think now the Senate Commission is a more confident in, in its organisational provisions and has the support from senior leaders um, to make improvements where required and where necessary to upskill, empower, support and attract employees. I think it would have taken us a lot longer to get where we were at this point because I think, as I touched on earlier, because of the depth of work that's gone in and consultation and discussions with different groups and the fact it's so up-to-date and current, I think to get to where we are and it would have taken us a lot longer and I think it it might have the focus of um, this com and the conversations wouldn't necessarily be happening on such a huge scale. What would you say Abby to, to other organisations you know other employers looking to adopt this standard? I'd say wholeheartedly do it. Um, you don't need to be held back by finances or resources, the benefit to all employees is astronomical. I think um, considering the the fact that we've um, the workforce is aging, and the and the fact people's our awareness of um, well being in the workplace has increased. I think it's. The question is, can you afford not to consider menopause when you consider um, the amount of women, and I use women in the terms as um, those assigned female at birth, so that includes um, trans men and, and, and et cetera. And I think that when they're the, they're, number in the workforce is increasing um, and this is one of the fastest growing group in the workforce. I think it's time and it's important to be proactive and have those conversations. Matthew, I love the way Abby spoke about the quick wins and about how the standard was allowing them to see how far along the journey they were, which also allowed them to compare what they do now with what they want to and need to do. And as you know, on The Standard Show, we do love a journey. We do indeed, yes. And also um, about the standard as being a resource with a lot of work done for you. That was a really good way of putting it. And Kirstine picked up on that too. She talked about the standard as a reference document and going back to it on a regular basis. Amazing, really, given that it's only a couple of months since they started using it. Yes, and it was great to hear, wasn't it? And Maria was great too. She talked about something really simple, you know, just, just starting with employee conversations to get the ball rolling, to address some of the taboos associated with menstrual and menopausal health. And the key opportunity here, that if organisations just use the standard, it can create the long-term cultural change of healthier and more inclusive workplaces. Oh, and then we need more Darrens too. <laughs> I know, I love that. 
So we should say a huge thank you to Maria, Kirstine and Abby for talking to us for this celebratory episode of The Standard Show. And a reminder that if you want to know more about The Standard BS, 3416, World Standards Day and how to get involved in standards, then check out the links in the show notes. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to The Standard Show now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.